Brethren, the story of a great recovery. Part 1 England and Wales. Chapter 26. Eastbourne 1872. The commencement of a testimony at Eastbourne on the English Channel may be traced to the conversion, rather late in life, of two sons of a former vicar of that town. Lord Radstock was preaching in the public room of the Maidenhead Hotel, Uckfield, when William and Frederick, sons of Dr. Brodie, came under sole conviction and realized for the first time that a pious upbringing in the religiously correct atmosphere of a vicarage would not obtain for them that peace of soul for which they now sought. Although it was Frederick who, in the year 1869, first began a gospel testimony in the old town district of the now popular health resort, yet it is the revered name of William Brodie which will ever shine out in bold relief in any recorded consideration of the Lord's work in Eastbourne, as it was largely through his instrumentality, both spiritually and financially, that the testimony went forward. He was born at the old vicarage, which stood opposite the parish church of Este. Mary, and in early life the boy ran rather an erratic course. On leaving school he became a midshipman, but quitted the service a few years later and proceeded to the island of Trinidad. Here the youth was employed on a sugar estate. He afterwards sailed for Australia, where, adopting the somewhat solitary life of a squatter, some years were spent in the bush. Reduced in circumstances, the wanderer returned to England and took up residence with his mother at Eastbourne. It was some years later that the crisis in the life of William Brodie took place. He then, after being a member of the Church of England for fifty years, felt constrained to leave it. Let me quote his own words at that time as given in an interesting little brochure issued to commemorate the Diamond Jubilee of Edgemont Hall, and to which the present waiter is indebted for much information, if ever I had a direct call from God it was when I came to this decision. When I went into church one Sunday morning I had not the slightest idea of leaving the Church of England. On quitting the building I said to my wife, never ask me to go into that church again, I was so uncomfortable that I will never go in there again. His resolve was never broken. Such a solemn and deliberate action as this was only decided upon by reason of the enlightened apprehension of the truth of God as touching the simplicity that is in Christ, undoubtedly a direct result of the spiritual awakening which was to effect such a resolute change in his whole life. Following the gospel testimony begun by Frederick Brodie, Mrs. Emma Grace's sister, along with Mrs. Benaist, gathered the people together into the schoolroom of the Old Town Infant School, where they talked of the good tidings of grace revealed to them through the scriptures, and many were pointed to the Savior. From a diary left behind, it is pleasing to observe that the foundation of this fruitful work was firmly laid in prayer. To them, prayer was indeed a power with unlimited possibilities. Encouraged by the evidence of spiritual fruit, William Brodie, in 1871, followed on during the winter months by giving gospel addresses to which people in large numbers were attracted. The kind of preaching to which they listened at these services was quite different from that of the parish church, which, as they said, was over their heads altogether. The people crowded into the meeting room to hear the Word of God, because, as Mr. Brodie himself said, they understood the preaching. A year later he purchased larger premises, and so great was the interest manifested in the town, that before long it was realized that the meeting room would require to be enlarged, so Mr. Brodie proceeded to acquire the adjoining property. This he had converted into the present hail with a seating capacity of from 300 to 400, which on many occasions was tested to its utmost. In fact it was found necessary at a later date to hire another hall nearer the seaside, for the convenience of visitors and others residing in the locality. 
This, however, has been succeeded by Marine Hall in Longstone Road, with which the names of Steinley, Baddeley, Cummings and Hewer will always be associated. Previous to this, a desire was expressed that the Bible truths which they had come to learn should be carried out, not as man had devised, but solely according to the Scriptures. Thus a table was set up, and on the first day of the week many came together in happy fellowship to remember the Lord. One is so accustomed to hear what is said by ourselves about ourselves, that the view of the outsider may be worthy of recounting here. Thus we read what a whiter in the local press had to say some years ago concerning the mission hall, as it was then called. He writes, This is a plain building in Church Street, in which a mission has been carried on for several years by Mr. W. Brody in connection with the communion known as Christian Brethren, who have no clergy or stated ministry, and deny being a sect or denomination but hold to the saying one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. The mission hall has been comfortably fitted up and lighted. There are no pews, but forms and chairs are used as seats and a platform serves the purpose of the pulpit, as we have said, there is no stated ministry, but brethren from various places give addresses at services, and in various ways, efforts are put forth for the religious and temporal welfare of the inhabitants of the old town. The congregations nearly fill the building, and are made up chiefly of the working class with a sprinkling of the persons in the middle walk of life. From a conversation we had with an intelligent farm laborer who attends the meeting regularly, it seems that the services are greatly appreciated by the people of his class and are preferred to the more formal services of the Church of England. The good man spoke gratefully of the efforts put forth by Mr. Brody and his friends for the well-being of the people living in the old town. Some of the best-known evangelists and teachers of that time, whose names are already familiar to the reader, were invited to assist Mr. Brody in the work, among them being Shudham Henry, Harry Morehouse, Denham Smith, Harrison Ord, Dr. McNutt, John Connor, Charles Inglis, and George Hucklesby, the latter spending many of his early days of ministry in the assembly. Thus Edgemond Hall, or the Mission Hall, as it was formerly called, became the spiritual birthplace of many who are now with the Lord. A few years subsequent to the erection of the Mission Hall, the schoolroom was added at the rear of the building by Mrs. Grace, who also caused to be erected Edgemond Lodge, which afforded convenient accommodation for servants of the Lord coming from a distance, and those who sometimes stayed for weeks at a time during special gospel services. These properties were eventually left by deed of gift to the assembly, the whole being in the control of trustees. Of Mrs. Grace it may be remarked as it was of the Shunammite woman of Old Testament days, that she was a great woman, who thought no sacrifice too large for her blessed Lord. She built and endowed several halls in various parts of the country, besides fully equipping at her own expense not a few laborers for the foreign field. It is of interest to note that Edgemond Hall was one of the earliest, if not the first, dissenting places of worship in Eastbourne, and those connected with it suffered much from the stand which they made against what has been termed organized Christianity. The assembly, of course, has experienced its vicissitudes, says the wider of the brochure already referred to, it has had its joys and sorrows, but through them all the banner of testimony has ever been unfurled, and through the grace of the Lord an unswerving loyalty to the Holy Scriptures has been maintained. As in the case of all healthy assemblies, the missionary spirit has been encouraged and developed, so that from Edgemond Hall ambassadors of the cross have gone forth to India, France, Congo, Bololo, China, Central Africa, Rangoon, and Switzerland. In this connection I may be permitted to quote again from the whiter already alluded to, and this I do with fullest approbation. It is our firm conviction that a church without a missionary outlook is in danger of dwindling away through its becoming self-centered. 
With this end in view, missionary meetings are held annually and have been a source of encouragement and enlightenment for some years past to believers in and around the Eastbourne District.